look into God's word. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for your many blessings that you have blessed us with. We thank you for the word that we've heard this morning on Thanksgiving. We pray that we may have that heart of gratitude, that we would be thankful and content in everything that thou hast give us, given us, even the circumstances that we are in. As the Apostle Paul says, that he's learned to abound and learned to be abased and to be content with whatever situation he was in. Help us to, to do the same. As we look into your word this afternoon, we pray a blessing upon it. Um, this arm, the servant that is up here, may your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And open our hearts to receive it in meekness, mingled with faith. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For this uh, afternoon's text, I'd like to turn to the uh, book of Galatians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, chapter 6. Letter to the Galatians, chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, he which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be also tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. For if man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth in the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how a large letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as, have, as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Written unto the Galatians from Rome. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote this 
this letter. And he wrote it, he says, with my own hand. He wrote it with his own handwriting. Normally he'd have a secretary. Um, and he would, he would state in the, the word at the end, um, sometimes who would have delivered the letter or written the letter with him where he dictated to. But this particular letter he wrote with his own hand. And it could have been because he had no one to dictate to. Maybe he was in solitary. But he wrote with his own hand. And it's, he said it's a large letter. It's not really understood what he meant by large. Because larger letters were written. Corinthians. He wrote two fairly large letters. But maybe it was large for him because he wrote it himself. When normally he would dictate. Or maybe he was speaking about the size of the font that he was writing in. Because of his, may have been his poor eyesight. There's various theories, but he wanted to let them know that he cared for them enough that he wrote this letter on his own. And the letter to the Galatians was one that had very similar themes to, to the letter to other churches, such as the church at Rome, the church at Colossae. Because a church in, in, in the, the Galatian churches, there were probably several small ones in that area that this letter was circulated to, the churches were being infected, if you will, by Judaizers, Jews that had turned Christian but wanted to continue to keep the law of Moses and insist that it be kept. Um, he had strong words for these people. In, in chapter 3, you can go back and you can see, he says, foolish Galatians who had bewitched you to believe these things, to not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had evidently been set forth and crucified among you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So they were definitely, they were plagued by false teachings of those that were converted to Christianity from the Jewish faith. And even later on in this letter you will see um, he again addresses that, the whole situation with circumcision where he says, And as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. They insist that you be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And the reason perhaps that they were enforcing this is because they didn't want to get any trouble from the Jews, from the Jewish believers, or from the Jews around them, because you are now serving God and you're not following the law of Moses. And they were persecuted for that. So in order for the persecution to stop, they said, circumcise your children. That was part of it. Um, in, there's another word, verse in... Um, was it in chapter 5? Where he says that... Where he was being accused of... of abandoning the law of Moses. 
and he tried to defend himself with the same uh, uh, issue of for the offence of the cross is now ceased if he said he completely abandoned the law of Moses and went into anarchy. Some people in Romans, as a matter of fact, thought that he was actually telling them, you can sin all you want because you're abandoning the law of Moses. He said, that's not true. As a matter of fact, he held him to a higher standard. Uh, but he explained what the law of Moses was all about in Romans chapter 7. It's spiritual, it's good, and uh, it, 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 it is the beginning of the conversion of the soul. When you are exposed to your sin, you see how sinful you are, and then you appeal to the grace of Christ to save you, because the law cannot. But we see that we, in, Romans, in Galatians chapter 6, he pleads with the brothers, the brethren, the church, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. Now, there is a thing called being overtaken in a fault. It comes upon you when you're not careful, when you're not watchful, when you're not walk, walk, walking, as Ephesians says, circumspectly, looking around, looking, watching out for temptation, as Jesus said. And, and you may be overtaken in that way. And he uses the term fault. I didn't look up the Greek word, what it means here. But there are many that try to belittle sin by calling them mistakes or faults. Sin is sin, no matter which way you slice it. All unrighteousness is sin, the Bible says in Job. So, the proof of that is, in this verse alone it says, If you be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore one. If someone hasn't sinned, you don't restore them. But you restore him, you bring him back into, this, into the straight and narrow way. You bring him back into the light where there's confession, repentance and healing. Uh, you restore that one in the spirit of meekness. Not in the spirit of judgment and accusation. But in the spirit of love, of meekness, of humility. Because you love the brethren. You don't want any harm or ill to befall your brother or your sister. So you restore that person in the spirit of meekness. Matthew uh, chapter 18, we often ask the question, uh, in which manner will you approach your brother that trespassed against you? In the spirit of love. Why? Because we want to restore him. We don't want any harm or evil to befall him. And then he says, one of the reasons you do that, because you've got to consider yourself. You've got to consider your own uh, fallibility, your own uh, ability to fall into sin. He says, considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. That's another reason why we shouldn't judge. Because the same judgment that we cast upon others, we will be judged because we will fall into the same, uh, perhaps same trap sometimes. You know, uh, when, when we talk about falling into sin uh, or being overtaken in a fault, it's usually a trap that's being set for you. Whether it's a distraction from the devil that you're not watching, that you're not praying, that you're not keeping a lookout, you're not keeping guard on yourself, or you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, 
or you've left the word alone and, you, and it's not pricking you as, as, as much as it should be because you have abandoned the word, you've abandoned prayer, you've abandoned accountability with brother and sister. It's not that you wanted to fall into the trap, but you've made yourself vulnerable. You've disarmed yourself. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the, the, the armor that the Christian ought to put on. Your truth, your, your, your loins girt with truth. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel and so on. And the sword of the spirit. When we um, cast these defenses away, we make ourselves vulnerable. And we can easily be, or oh, the shield of faith, we forgot that one. We can easily be hit by the fiery darts of the wicked one when we cast aside the armour that God has given us. And we can fall into this trap. Jesus called it a snare. Or what did he, what did he tell Peter? You're an offence unto me. And that word offence means snare. You're a trap. Satan's using you to trap me. And Satan uses many devices. 2 Corinthians 2 says, We ought not to be ignorant of the devices of Satan. And one of the devices of Satan that he uses is unforgiveness. And he was talking specifically in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 of unforgiveness. Be careful that you don't have an unforgiving heart because this is a snare, a trap that Satan wants to get in, get, get, get in to trap you, to snare you, make you fall. He says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this word burdens here... It actually meets up, means a load or a weight. And there is no load or weight that is heavier than the load of sin. When someone falls into sin, it's a heavy load. Because the conscience is there. Um, disappointment, discouragement. Um, maybe... Um, Entrapment being brought under the power of that sin. It's a heavy load. And people need help in that from the brotherhood. That's why the body's there to help each other. When, when, when one part suffers, everyone suffers. When one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. And he says, Bear one another's burdens. When we fall into sin, don't be high-minded because you could fall into that same sin or another sin. You may, oh, I'll never do that, but you fall into another, into another sin. So we need to be considerate of each other and not high-minded because we haven't yet fallen the way my brother has fallen. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In John chapter 1 it says that we all sin. If any man says he doesn't sin, he makes God a liar. When you come to the, if you come to the point, not when, if you come to the point where you think you don't sin anymore, you just have faults and mistakes, you're deceiving yourself. So be careful that you don't fall, you deceive yourself. 
But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Now the word prove here, I believe he's speaking about let every man examine himself. That's what it means to prove, to test yourself. We heard it last week, I believe, where 2 Corinthians 13 was quoted, where he said, you know, let every man examine himself, whether he be in the faith. Every man should examine themselves, whether they be in the faith. Because if I try to examine you, I'd be judging you. And secondly, I wouldn't know what's inside of you. I couldn't judge you. Because I don't know what's inside of you. But you know what's inside of you. Because you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Word of God, and you have your own experience that you need to judge. And 1 Corinthians 11 says, if every man judges himself, he won't be judged with the world. But he needs to judge himself. And then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Because when there is judging and examination and repentance and confession, God gives you peace and you can have joy as you cleanse, you are cleansed by the Word, by the Holy Spirit, and by the, the blood of Christ. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, there seems to be a contradiction between verse 5 and verse 2. It says, Bear ye one another's burden, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And verse 5 says, For every man shall bear his own burden. What does that mean? <laughs> Same word in the English. But one says, Let every man bear his own burden. The other one says, You should bear each other's burdens. That's why I said in the English, if you look in the Greek, if you look in the original, there are two different Greek words. The first burden I mentioned was a load or a weight. The second burden is, is speaking about responsibility. Every man will be responsible for his own actions. That's what it says. That's what it means. Every man will be responsible for your own actions. You, your father's will not eat grapes, as it says, sour grapes, whatever, and your teeth of the children and the grandchildren stand on edge. Whatever you sow, and you can see that that's the, the verse coming up in verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth that he shall also reap. You will be responsible for your actions. If your actions are bad, you will reap corruption. If your actions are good, you will reap reward and, and, and be edified. But you will become responsible for your own actions. Every Christian. We will all stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We'll all stand there, but we'll stand alone. We won't stand with my brother or sister to to back me up or to blame or to, to comfort me or to intercede for me in Christ, for, to Christ, we will stand. But we'll stand alone. And that's why we'll be accountable for our own actions. And because we'll be accountable for our own actions, 
We need to examine our own selves. We don't expect our brother or sister to look into our hearts. Now, a brother or sister can see our deeds, they can see our works, and they can admonish us for our works or our deeds, or warn us. You know, admonish seems to be very harsh to some, but it's just another word for warning. We can warn them of where they're going. And if they refuse to receive that admonition, there's verses in the, in the Bible that tell us how to deal with it, such as Matthew 18. But what you're really doing when you're rejecting the admonition, you're rejecting the warnings of danger and harm, impending harm. And what is, what is the end result? For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You reap a crop. When you sow to your flesh, when you do things that cater to the flesh, you will reap a crop. But that crop, crop is going to be corrupt. You reap something. Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. You're working for something. If you're working in the flesh, you're going to get paid. But those wages... The payment is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So when you sow to the Spirit, when you do things that are spiritual, when you obey the Word of God, you cannot go wrong. But if you second guess the Word of God, or if you, or if you disobey the Holy Spirit, you will reap things of the flesh. And you can go to Galatians chapter 5. It tells you what the deeds of the flesh are. What are the deeds of the flesh? The works of the flesh are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of which I tell you before... As I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, I've never killed, I've never committed adultery, I've never done this. What about emulations? What about strife? What about envying other people, what they have? We heard that this morning. What about evil speaking, gossip? There are many things that we categorize and we don't think that they fit into these boxes. You know, you just have to look at the Ten Commandments and you'll see that probably all of these you can put into one of those Ten Commandments as a subset of those Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are really there that God gave to Israel for to show them how they can love God. How the love... Of God is regulated. Keeping the Sabbath. Not having other idols. Not using the Lord's name in vain and so forth. They're always, if we break them, we, we show that we don't love God. And the other six is all how we can love man. By not stealing, by not lying, by not committing adultery, by, not commi uh, uh, by honoring our father and mother. Uh, by breaking these commands... 
we're showing that we don't really, we don't really love man. And you can read later on, John says that if you don't, uh, if, you're a, if, if, you're a, if you don't love your brother, you're a murderer. The absence of love can lead to murder. Murder. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We have a special responsibility towards each other, towards our brother and sister. We can do good to all men, but especially to those that are God's children. We have a special responsibility. In another place it says that if any man does not care for his own, especially they of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. An infidel was considered a heathen, someone that didn't believe in Jesus Christ. So we have special obligation to our families and to the house of God because they are his You see how large a letter I have written to you? I've already um, expounded on that. But towards the end, he says one thing. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. After he's, told him, or after he's already told the Galatian churches on how they should believe, on how they should understand the word of God and treat each other. He said, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And here, he's speaking literally. He literally bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus. There's a, a passage in the book of Colossians, in the letter to the Colossians, the same apostle writes, he says this. Colossians chapter 1. He says in verse... 23, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which, we, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, he's again in prison, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He's bearing in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus in Galatians. In, Coloss in Colossians, he's filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in his own flesh for the church's sake. What's he saying? What he's saying is, when he was persecuted, when he was beaten, he was beaten for Christ's sake. He was beaten because of Christ. In Acts chapter 9, Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, Saul at the time. And he hears a voice from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord, that I persecute? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, 
who you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. You see, when Saul was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Christ. When he was beating the church, the believers, he was beating Christ. And now Paul was in that situation where he was being beaten because they were looking to get Christ. But because Christ is not here, he was taking the the, the beatings and the whippings that were meant for Jesus Christ. That's why he said, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. Like, he's being standing in the gap now. Because Christ is not here. He's taking his pain. He's being beaten because he represents Jesus Christ here on this earth. And he was willing to be beaten for Christ. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to count all things but done that he could win Christ. Are we willing? Jesus said to the disciples when they wanted to sit on his right and left hand and his mother, their mother came in between and begged Jesus too. He says, are you willing? Can you, be, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They never answered. He, Jesus answered and said, yeah, you will. You, you're going to do that. But to give to you to sit in my right hand or left hand in the kingdom is not up to me. It's God's. The big question to us is, are we willing? Are we willing to suffer all things to become disciples of Jesus Christ? Or do you want to sow to the flesh and live it up while you're on this earth and then suffer for eternity in the absence from Christ and from God. May the Lord bless his word. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Brother, find a hymn, please. Number 74, the first two and the last verses.
Our gracious and holy Father in heaven, Lord, we thank thee for this, this beautiful day, dear Lord. And Father, as we have begun at this morning hour, Lord, with without the power of our man-made lights and electricity, and Lord, even though that did come back on, it was the power and the true light of thy living word that, Father, has once again shaken us to our core in our souls. Where, Lord, the wisdom of thy word, thy everlasting word, it cannot be doubted. It cannot be so easily turned away, lest our hearts are dull and truly willfully ignorant, Heavenly Father, of thy truth. And Heavenly Father, we have been reminded this afternoon of how the, those who have become children of thine, how their lives are now given unto righteousness. They are given, Lord, with that new and perfect character of Christ that has indwelt in them along with thy Holy Spirit. And that it should bring forth much honor and glory unto thy heavenly name. And Father, we realize we were saved from that old life, that life that was condemned by that law of old where it commanded us and made aware unto us of the, of the sinful nature of our hearts. And Father, we came to realize that whether it was a little bit of sin or whether it was lots of sin in our lives, we did fall short very much of thy heavenly glory. And Heavenly Father, we know that if we do not live by faith with that new life that is in the believer, that surely death will come once again if we are not careful. Because the wages of sin, it is death. It is, not a, it is a future thing also, but it is also a present thing. And as John said, if we do not love our brother, we are abiding in death even now. But we are assured that we have passed from death unto life. Heavenly Father, when we recognize thy goodness and mercy unto us, and when we realize that thou art living in us, and Heavenly Father, that we should always be still and know that thou art God, that thou art the head and we are the members, and that we need wisdom, and we need direction, we need total dependence upon thee, as we have heard very clearly this morning, that every good, every perfect gift comes from thee, and Heavenly Father, where we see situations where it doesn't seem right in our own sight, yet we know they are created by Thee, they are given by Thee, and there is a wonderful purpose within it. Every man is created in the image of God. Every man, even though he has rebelled, has his beauty and this wonderful thing that is to be brought to life and recreated through the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this goodness, this new life. We pray that we would walk circumspectly as we have heard this afternoon, that our minds and our hearts would, be, would have the attitude of realizing, dear Lord, that Thou dost want to work through us to glorify Thy name. And all those things that are good and right and pure and holy, 
They glorify thy name because it is thy character and it is thy will. Thou art love, dear Lord, and we thank thee for it. We pray for forgiveness where we do sin and where we do take in a casual manner all that has been entrusted to us. Father, grant us the strength to be renewed once again this day to follow in thy way and to work out our soul salvation with fear and trembling. And Father, that we would do it as the Lord did. The, the Savior, the shepherd who, who went into so many different situations here, who raised the dead and who seen the, those who are possessed with, with demons, who seen those that were uh, brought down with much anguish and fear and, and, and lack of necessity and inadequacies and rejected and... and neglected in this world, dear Lord. There are so many opportunities for us to work if we would but follow the mind and the heart of Christ. Heavenly Father, be with those that are neglected, that are rejected, those that perhaps don't have that beautiful thing that we have heard in the gospel, dear Lord, of hope and salvation in thee. Lord, make it possible, Father, through thy great works and through the very vessels of thy children that we would always be ready to seek out those and to help those that are truly in need. Father, there are so many things we ought to ask and pray for. Lord, thou dost know far above that which is in our hearts. Thou art so much greater than our hearts. And Father, in true dependence, we come before thee this afternoon asking that thou will do far above that which is from our asking that everything will be done according to thy perfect will. And for all thy goodness and for all thy loving kindnesses, we just pray that thou would continue to be with us and we give thee thanks, Father, in perhaps from the weakness of our flesh, but, Father, from the sincerity of our hearts. We praise thee for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a day that we'll probably remember like we did remember the CFG way back when, when the lights went out and we were having a CFG in the old Western Road Church with candles. But I hope it's not just the, the blackout that we remember. I hope we remember the word of the Lord. That we remember not to forget to thank him for everything. In all things, give thanks. And remember that we pray unceasingly. That means not continuously every second of the day in the sense that it's a continuous prayer, but make it a pattern of your life that you continue to pray for all your needs, for all your cares, for your intercession for others. It may be that we also remember that those that are not yet the members of the body of Jesus Christ, there's only one way. There's only one way to God, and that is through Christ. And if you don't believe that, you're taking a big, big chance. You're taking a big chance. May the Lord bless his word. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.